0: Well, I just have to tell you guys that I am just in love with you. You are such a beautiful family. You are handpicked by God for such a time as this. Do you realize that? You know, you think we, 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 we can so easily gloss over some of the things that Jesus said. In fact, in Matthew 13, I'm, I'm gonna speak to you out of Matthew 13 today, but he says, many prophets and righteous men desired to see the things that you see, but they did not. To you, it has been given to know the mysteries of God. Come on. You know that you are chosen by God to be his witnesses in such a time as this? Do you know there are more believers, true believers of Christ that live on the earth right now than populate heaven for all of history? Think about that for a minute. There are more believers on the earth right now, more disciples of Christ on the earth right now alive than have lived up until this point in history. That's a lot of glory on the earth. That's exciting, isn't it? You can think about it. 2,000 years ago, there were only 120 believers that gathered in the upper room. If only half of the people that confess Christ right now are, are, are truly obeying Christ, there's a billion believers now. Man, Josh, that is exciting. Thank you. Woo! I'm encouraged. Are you, like, waiting for there to be bad news? You guys are so quiet. It's not a trick. This, this is a really good time to be alive. God is doing amazing things. I, uh, I have a dear friend, Paul Manwaring, uh, he's, one of the, he's the administrative pastor on the senior uh, team at Bethel in Redding, and they're doing a, uh, well, we don't call them crusades anymore, do we? Uh, but, but they're doing a large gathering of people in the name of Jesus so that people can hear the gospel, whatever we call that now. It's called Awaken Europe. And I watched a little clip. I was trying to get it up for you this morning, um, but uh, Todd White got up, presented the gospel in Germany, Nuremberg, Germany. 2,000 people got saved, and the clip is of them running across the stadium, running across the stadium to be saved. Come on! (laughs) Running! (laughs) Our God is alive. Let's listen to a few of his words. (laughs) I have the the, the joy of preaching to you today about how God's kingdom extends over all. We've been been preaching through some of the core beliefs, the core values that we constantly teach here, we constantly preach, we constantly engage you with, and um, and we've been talking about the kingdom, and the part of the kingdom that I want to talk to you about now um, Jason shared last week that the gospel of the kingdom is the only hope for mankind, and he did a brilliant job, he always does. Was that not good? I listened to the podcast, that was really a good word, man. I didn't even know there was half that stuff in the Bible. I started reading the, okay, listen, I'm sorry. Anyway, so I get to build on that, and I'm going to talk about the fact that God's kingdom extends over all, and... This is, a key, this is a key understanding for us. And I think in light of even uh, some of the political stuff that's going on right now, I believe some hope will get injected into your heart in this moment of that reality. And so I'm actually going uh, to start. Uh, I want to start with a, a quick statement that's made in Matthew 28, and then I'm going to come back to Matthew 13. If you have your Bibles, everything is going to be out of Matthew 13 uh, today. But let me start with Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and he spoke to them, saying... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How much? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. All authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, in some translations, you can very easily and without stretching it, say the words, instead of go, is as you go, make disciples of all nations. As you go, make disciples of all nations. Why? Because all authority has been given to me by the Father. When Jesus Christ died and rose again, and we took communion this morning and remembered the completed work of the cross, that all of the power that had been given to Satan, so that he had ruled over the air and ruled over the earth and brought curse and sin and death and destruction on every relationship, be it physical, uh, um, you know, in in the earth itself, thorns, etc., every relationship between man and woman, man and man, everything that was broken between God and man has been restored because of the work of the cross. So because Jesus died and rose again, all authority has been given to him. Satan no longer has authority over the earth. I don't think that you heard me, Satan no longer has authority over the earth. Anybody who is bringing a different kind of mojo on the earth is not doing it legally with the blessing of the Father. They're doing it illegally, many times actually, honestly, unbeknownst to them. Oftentimes deceived by the God of the, of the air, Satan, that the prince of darkness, still runs around on this earth, not legally, illegally. He is operating illegally. Say illegally. Yes. You need to catch this. See, darkness doesn't have a right to be growing on the earth. It's not a legal thing. It's not like God kicked back and said, yeah, I don't know what to do. I, you know, it just, it just keeps spurting up here and there. I don't know what to do about it. I'm, no, he has all authority, and he has some things to say about it. I want to share that with you today, but I want you to catch it. All authority has been given to Christ. Undisputable. Therefore, as we go, we make disciples of all nations. And what do we do? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. What are we teaching people when we disciple them? To do and obey all the things that Christ has commanded us. So it's not our opinion. It's not something that we're coming up with to try to get other people to act right, act the way we want them to. No, no, no. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we disciple so that we can all come under the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen? So the beauty of that, for those of you that are in the midst of discipling some people, is that you're not a self-absorbed weirdy. You're a son or a daughter who's pointing to our big brother, Jesus Christ, who's the Savior of the world and has all authority, and saying, Jesus said this, how then will you respond? Isn't that beautiful? And he goes on to say, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he is with us. And we just got a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit today. I recommend you get that every day, every time you think of it. Jesus, I just thank you for the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I Acknowledge that you're God on earth. Fill me again. Fill me afresh. So all authority has been given to Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. And we know that the Lord's Prayer, though we become so familiar with and we forget how powerful it is, but the Lord's Prayer is Father let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we know what it is that he wants and we know where it is that he wants it. He wants it on the earth. And all authority has been given to him so he has jurisdiction over the earth. Now I wanna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get a lot done in 20 minutes in the name of Jesus. It's gonna be a sign and a wonder and a miracle and you'll rejoice with me. So Jesus chapter 13 verse one. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him. So he got into a boat, and he sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went to to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came, and they devoured them, and some fell on stony places where they didn't have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground, and it yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I was musing this morning that he starts with a hundred. Isn't that interesting? For most of us, I think if we told this story, we'd say, some thirty, some sixty, and some even a hundred. hundred. But God actually said, hey, some's 100, no problem. Some 60 and some 30, which is weird, not usual. I love my increase, God. I love my fruitful God. Isn't that beautiful? Did you ever catch that? Am I the only one? You probably all learned it in kindergarten. Thank you for affording. Isn't that beautiful? He's a God of increase. It's easier to bear fruit with God than to not bear fruit with God. The disciples came to him and they said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and he said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And he goes on to explain to them that the scriptures are fulfilled there, that those that were rejecting the Christ, he spoke to them in parables because they had already hardened their heart. I'm gonna continue forward. So then he goes on to tell the disciples, hey, blessed are you because you see and understand, picking up in verse 18. He says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and he snatches away what was sown in his heart. And this is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, and he understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, here we see immediately God just saying, listen, as you understand that all authority has been given to me on earth and that you're to go and sow the word. You're to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom. Know that as you do that and you sow that word, that this will be the response of different people. But also know that you can look at this scripture and you begin to see in your own heart, have I sprung up with great joy, but then had no ability to continue on? I didn't cultivate my own heart. Have I at this point become distracted by riches Have I become distracted? Have I become busy with building my own kingdom and the things that are important to me and lost sight of that and I've stopped bearing fruit? You see, this word is the two-edged sword. It checks our own motivations at that time. This word is especially important for us in this place, in in this beautiful American nation that we live in because we're the richest nation in the entire earth. All of us that own one car, are in a club called the 5% Club, because 5% of the population of the earth, of the seven billion people that are here, own one car, and most of us own two. So when we say, oh, but I'm not rich, no, you're not rich in comparison, maybe to a extraordinarily richer than you in America person, but you are richer than 95% of the people on the entire earth. And so in that moment, you have to say, am I allowing the deceitfulness of riches to choke out the fruitfulness that I'm called to by living a life of generosity and purpose, or am I consistently spending on my own needs and I'm on the treadmill of keeping up with the Joneses? Somebody say, ouch. (laughs) Some of us have no root in ourselves. When persecution arises, we lose the joy. We lose, we get scared. We get afraid to continue to preach the gospel because the gospel brings opposition. And so we allow this word to test our heart there. And why do we allow that word to test our heart? Because everything on the earth belongs to God, and this is the definition of what the kingdom looks like. Let me continue on. Verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came, and he sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. And so the servants of the owner came and said to him, "'Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares?' And he said to them, "'An enemy has done this.' And the servants said to him, "'Do you want us then to go and gather them up?' But he said, "'No,' Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. That's the first story, the wheat and the tares. The second story, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and he sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it's greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So we have the small seed that starts out small and grows. He goes on the parable of the leaven. Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and she hid in three measures of meat until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the parables. Then he goes on to explain. I'm just gonna jump down to verse 37. He answered and he says to them, because the disciples are saying, what does it mean? And he starts to unpack it for them and for us. He answered and he said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. Gather them out of what? They will gather them out of his kingdom. Did you catch that? Let me back up, because this is important. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. Where are the things that are offending? In his kingdom. Why are there things that offend in his kingdom? Because everything is in his kingdom. Because all authority has been given to God. Because of the death and resurrection of Christ, earth is under the jurisdiction of the king of kings. But God, as we know later, and I'm not going to go to that scripture right now, there's a scripture that says that God... It's his kindness that leads to repentance. You know that scripture. And it also says, do not think that God is slack in coming. For it is in his forbearance that by patience, desiring that none should perish, he gives more time that maybe they'll repent. Did you catch this? You see, it's his kindness. We also know that it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what's the point? The point is, is that, when, that in God's kingdom, and it's all God's kingdom, in his kingdom, he does not desire that we come in and, let, and let, try to, through outer legislation, create a place where people either obey or they die. You see, in this time, these disciples here are much like us in America today. They expected Jesus to come and legislate righteousness. They expected him to come and usurp Rome and write out a theocracy and restore Israel to have laws of the land that would uphold righteousness in the hearts of people. But Jesus came and said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And then he gives us these, all these examples in Matthew. And he begins to say, the kingdom of heaven is within you. It's like a little bit of leaven and it gets worked into the whole lump. So as these things come up together, everywhere that the kingdom goes, it elevates blessing. Are you with me? It's true. But Jesus, because of who he is, he loves sinners. And he wants them to repent. And it's his kindness that leads to repentance. It says nowhere in here that it's his righteous legislation that causes repentance. This is important because in a democracy that is based on the understanding of how the kingdom of heaven works, we created a a, a representative government And we're so used to having the momentum of these kingdom values kept in the hearts of followers of Christ that we've traveled on the momentum of past discipled people. But America needs to be discipled. And it's not in the hearts of men and women in this culture right now to understand or even figure out why they would vote for certain things. And so little by little by little, and, and don't think that this thing with this latest ruling is all of a sudden where it shifted. It shifted years back. But to the extent that we misunderstood how the kingdom of heaven works and did not continue to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey the commands, that doesn't mean legislate to all nations. It says go make disciples, teaching individuals to obey the commands of Jesus. Do you know what individuals who obey the commands of Jesus do? They abide by certain guidelines. They abide by certain things. In a democracy, they create certain rules. And they live by them because they're written on their hearts. I'm not defending the oligarchy that just violated all constitutional law by creating a law. We cannot call ourselves a democracy, as Scalia says, when five unelected officials legislate from the Supreme Court. That's chilling. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is that we live in a nation that has enjoyed seeing a people who have the kingdom of heaven within them, in a majority, live in a certain way that provides tons of freedom. But the fact that that's shifted, the popularity of a certain understanding of those has changed and now there's a difference in how we would write laws, it doesn't change the jurisdiction of the king and his kingdom. Are you with me? I feel like I got a little broad there, but are you guys tracking with me? This is important that we catch this because I think a lot of Christians are sort of waking up and realizing, when did America not be a Christian nation anymore? Well, truthfully, it kind of started back in the 50s. We're just seeing the fruit of a whole lot of disassociation from us remembering that Jesus said, All authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now let me me pull back because because this is a good word. He says, therefore, I'm going to start on 37 again because I really want to pull this, I want this this in your hearts, uh, and I want the word to be what you remember as opposed to little thoughts that I'm having around it. He answered and said to them, "'He who sows the good seed is the son of man. "'The field is the world. "'The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, "'but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. "'The enemy who sowed them is the devil, "'the harvest is the end of the age, "'and the reapers are the angels. "'Therefore, as the tares are gathered "'and burned in the fire, "'so it will be at the end of this age. "'The son of man will send out his angels, "'and they will gather out of his kingdom "'all things that offend. "'Everything is in his kingdom.'" Everything is in his kingdom. I need you to say that. Everything is in his kingdom. You got to catch this, that God, in fact, in other places in the Bible, what does it say? God deserves mercy over judgment. He says, I send the rain on the just and the unjust. America is not under the curse or the wrath of God. You got to catch this. There will be a judgment day. We will all stand before the Lord and what we've done with his son Jesus Christ and whether or not we've begun to follow his commands is what we will be based, what the judgment will be based on. But God is not going around to nations and going, oh, sorry, you didn't legislate righteousness, so you know what, kapow, zowie, bam. No, that's not where we are. He says, I'm letting the tares grow up with the wheat at the same time, and the reason why I'm doing it is because my kindness leads to repentance, and the reason why I'm also doing it is I'm not going to root out the tares because of what? He says, because it will damage the wheat. Did you catch this? The way that God is doing things actually serves in such a way that it helps us to become sons of God, showing the same kindness in the face of wickedness that he did. He is the one that said, as he is, so are you. So what we need to understand is, yes, there are mere men. Yes, they are writing silly laws. But even if we wrote good laws of people who are un as, as Washington said, a people who are unbridled by religion whose author is Jesus Christ, even our matchless constitution will be unable to govern them. You see, we don't legislate righteousness. If we're a righteous people, praise God, let's write good legislation. But good legislation won't make us a righteous people. It is only those that understand that all things have been given to Jesus that make disciples of their neighbors and those they have real influence with. And then you see the exponential uh, power of God in people's hearts. Be encouraged. All things belong to Jesus Christ. The wheat and the tares are growing up together, but this day is no more wicked nor worse than other days that we've seen. Stand up and prophesy to Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was killed by Hitler that America is facing a worse day. No, no. Be encouraged by Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, I am not discouraged. The kingdom is not retreating. All things belong to Jesus Christ. The kingdom extends over all. And we are growing up in the midst of tears, but here's the beauty. Our daddy loves the tears. And he wants us to show, through our good works, our obedience to the teaching of Christ, the superiority of his love, of his kindness, and of his blessing. We are to provoke all others to jealousy through the amount of forgiveness and kindness, and patience, and generosity that we give away as we love God and serve others, teaching them to do all the things that Jesus commanded. And if somebody doesn't wanna receive God, do you know what else he does here? The Bible says that the righteous live at peace even with their enemies. Jesus came and said, I tell you, don't hate your enemies, but love them, and pray for those who despitefully use you. So if someone comes and says, you're a narrow-minded, bigoted, horrible, outdated, homophobe that is an idiot and believes in creation and you're stupid, then you say it's a mouthful. <laughs> you know, is, did, did I hurt you in some way? And they go, everything you believe is disgusting. And you say, okay, well and in that moment, honestly, you ask the Holy Spirit what to say and you know what he does? He gives you something beautiful and probably what you end up doing is saying, is there some way I can serve you because I can't help but thinking that somebody in the name of Jesus must have really hurt you. And and I have a suspicion they weren't actually obeying Jesus' commands. Is there something I can do to make him famous for you? Because he came and he loves you, and I love you. That's when love wins. See, love is not license, love is the person of Jesus Christ. Love is obeying the commandments shown, demonstrated, lived out by the man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died and rose again. Everything is under the jurisdiction of God. So I want you to catch this. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this one more time, okay? Um, Yeah, yeah. Let's Let's just focus in. I'm going to start in verse 41. The Son of God, the Son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. The cost of following Jesus is everything. Your money is not your money, it's his money. Your heartbeat is not your heartbeat, it's his heartbeat. Your breath is not your breath, it's his breath. Your family is not your family, it's his family. Jesus came and said, if you don't hate your own natural relations in comparison to how much you love me, you're not worthy of me. He says, however, anyone who leaves houses or homes or family for my sake will gain a hundred times more in in the next life and this one. He says, in both You see, we are a family because of the finished work of Christ. But it comes at the cost of total, absolute surrender and allegiance to the one who has all authority, which is God and his son, Jesus Christ. And he's the one. This is the part I want you to catch. He is the one that has decided. He is the one that understands that it's more valuable For everyone involved, to neither harm you nor to condemn maybe some of those who may grow up and eventually repent. I've heard story after story after story. Darwin himself is alleged to have prayed a prayer and repented on his deathbed. Now that's been contested. I don't know if it's true. But when I get there, I would not doubt that it is. Atheist after atheist after atheist lived their life and then repented in that moment. And I praise God that he's the kind of God that says, I desire that none should perish, but all should have eternal life. I praise God for those deathbed prayers. You see, God in his forbearance desires that none should perish. And that's why the wheat and the tares grow up at the same time. It's his kindness that leads to repentance, not his judgment. You see, when God does come at the end of the age, and most of us, I believe, truly, I mean, we don't know, but we need to plan for the fact that we're going to die of old age, okay? There's a lot of generations that read the Bible kind of funny and died of old age, and they were very disappointed that they did it that way. There's a whole generation of people that didn't go to college because they decided things were as bad as they were ever going to get and didn't go to college, and didn't get good in any kind of fields of influence, and we have a whole tech revolution right now that has almost zero Christians leading it. Because that generation was one of the generations that was like tune in, turn on, and drop out for Jesus. Okay, some of you aren't old enough, that doesn't even make sense to you. Anyway, they they bought into this bad mojo. They misunderstood how the kingdom happened. They thought the devil had all authority, and so they just hunkered down. We can't afford to have that kind of an understanding of the scriptures. We need to understand that all authority has been given to him and that he's the one that's allowing everything to grow up together. And that means you don't need to be scared because he actually said that he's letting the tares grow up next to you for their good because many of them will repent but also for your good, he doesn't want to damage you. Did you catch that? No, don't pull that out. Don't pull the tares out yet. Because it'll damage the wheat. Who's the wheat? We are. See, the Bible also says this He works for the good of those in all things. He works for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. Who's encouraged? That's a good word, isn't it? I mean, I can say that because it's his word. (laughs) I can say that quite objectively. So when you're going into your workplace, when you're going into the place where you have real and true influence, I want you to understand something. You're under the jurisdiction of the king of kings. And so you are to live according to the commands and teachings of Jesus Christ in every situation where you are. And you are to use your own authority and influence up to the level that you've actually earned. Did you catch this? This is the part where you don't come in and say, well, God owns everything, Mr. CEO, so you need to repent and write some better rules in this business. No, no, you need to go down to the mailroom and wash feet and help other people and make your manager look like a genius until you get promoted and become the most profitable VP in his company, and then say, or as you go, you've been doing it, you're living it, but then you're finally in a place of influence where the CEO goes, you are the most profitable VP I've ever seen, and the way that you live and the way that you work is so unique. Everything you touch, all the people around you trust you. I don't know what to tell you except for this. I'm not a believer, but honestly, if I were to meet Jesus, I kind of feel like he'd be a lot like you. Will you write a policy for my company that will make us profitable, that will take care of my employees? And what is that? It's the second commandment. But sometimes we're so, and I'm gonna say it stupid, because the Bible says it, says, he who will not take correction is stupid, but a wise man will take counsel. I love that proverb because it means I get to choose if I'm gonna be stupid or wise. And in case you're missing the implication, you get to choose too. One of the stupid things that we do is we try to go out and operate in authority because everything belongs to Jesus and we belong to Jesus, when in point of fact, we need to earn influence by becoming the servant of all in our area. And until you earn that place by living like Jesus, you don't have anything to say yet because you don't have any real influence or authority. And so it means if you want to be a doctor, you better go to medical school and become the best doctor for Jesus by going through the actual process. If you wanna be a lawyer, you need to go and get the right school. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? Become excellent in that area and then you will have true influence to under the authority of Christ to actually change that place. Are you guys with me? And why would you do that? Because everything is under his jurisdiction. That little add-on, I feel like, is really important for us, though. Everything belongs to him. Therefore, be bold. Live like Jesus. Do what it takes to extend his kingdom in the place where you have real influence because everything belongs to him. I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I commission you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do everything that Jesus commanded you. If you need healing in your body, if you need blessing, if you need encouragement, if you need a prophetic word, the prayer servant team is lining up in the back corners here, they've got little lanyards on, they would love to pray with you. If Jesus isn't yet your savior, and today you just heard about how good he is, and you're realizing I must surrender to this good God, they can walk you through that and make an introduction. I'm honored to get to share the word with you today. May the Lord bless you.